Chapter 1 I was a happy memory factory. All my jokes seemed to land. All my research seemed to deliver. I was getting comments from the tour group like, wow, interesting and what, all over the place, even got no way a few times. The struggles of the last few months seemed so far behind me now, fading into the horizon like a ghost ship. This was why I'd gotten into the tour guide business. This was why I worked so hard. Only one issue, I was running a little long, which meant, if there were a few extra questions at the end of my presentation, we'd miss my favorite sommelier, Susan of the Heavy Pours, who took her lunch at one. Covering for her would be Madison of the Stingy Pours. Not the end of the world, but not ideal either. Next stop was lunch, and most of my customers came from the Bay Area, a five-hour drive south of here where people were extra picky about their food. I always took them to the best places I knew of. I wasn't a monster. But no matter where I took them, if I didn't get them a little tipsy first, I'd hear about the food in a Yelp review later. Mexican food especially seemed to be an issue, like it could only be prepared properly below a certain latitude. I stood at the front of my tour bus beside the driver's seat speaking to a capacity crowd for the first time this year, 16 seats filled. My stance was wide but not too wide. My hand gestures were energetic but not so much as to appear aggressive. I knew because I'd practiced them in the mirror, something I'd learned from the astronauts, the practicing part, not the gesturing to a mirror part. I'd seen one speak at the Young Entrepreneur Convention two years ago. Astronauts practiced their tasks until they became automatic. That was the secret to performing in high-pressure, life-or-death situations. I wasn't walking in space without a tether, but I was public speaking, and that could be just as terrifying, even for a professional like me. I'd parked outside a small winery in a small town called Weot, off the Avenue of the Giants, a stretch of the old highway that ran along the Eel River through ancient groves of massive redwoods. We were on the southern end of Humboldt County, an isolated beautiful place surrounded by mountains and ocean, an island in many ways. Some called it the gateway to the Pacific Northwest. Others called it the Lost Coast, which I preferred. It was great branding, evoking romance and adventure. Like many other local businesses, I'd incorporated it into my name, Lost Coast Excursions. Tree-spiked hills could be seen through my spotless bus windows, along with what remained of a once-thriving town center. The pages of the complimentary booklet I'd handed out at the beginning of the tour made a soft sloughing noise as the tour group, directed by me, turned to the photo of Weot before the 1964 flood. It showed two gas stations, two cafes, a hotel, a sporting goods store, and even a real estate insurance office. Just about all of that was washed away in the flood. The only thing from the photo that remained was the hotel, and that was abandoned. Seeing the stark difference between then and now, the gentleman in the back gasped. I was destroying. Audible gasps didn't come easy. And I'd been getting them all day, all week, ever since I'd started this new tour. I should have suspected something was up then. Old, regional floods were exciting, but multiple gasp exciting. And from everyone? As you can see, the flood was especially devastating to Weot. Between the 19th and 23rd of December, this region received 50 inches of rain. Gasps In some places, the high water mark of the Eel River reached 47 feet. More gasps 
A month ago, my business had been tanking thanks to a feud with a fellow entrepreneur in the local hospitality industry, Kayak Brad. The summer before last, he'd asked me to give his customers rides to and from his kayaking locations. But after a month of not getting paid, of him giving me one excuse after another, I'd severed the relationship. As if he was the one who'd been wronged, he'd retaliated by sabotaging my Yelp reviews right before the start of the next season. I'd known it was him because he'd told me. It had gotten so slow for me, I'd been unable to make several of my tour bus payments. I'd been about to lose everything. But then, a miracle was the only way I could describe it. Out of nowhere, a huge demand to see all the places most affected by the 1964 flood. The 50th anniversary was coming up, but that was over a year away, and that still didn't explain the level of interest I was receiving, calls every day. I was booked weeks in advance. I'd had to change up my whole tour to cater to the new demand, make a new booklet, find new sites, adapt like any good entrepreneur. My tour group today was mostly younger couples, which was the new normal since I'd pivoted to the flood stuff. I was accustomed to retirees who liked to tell me they had golf clubs older than me. I was comfortable with them. Speaking in front of people closer to my own age was nerve-wracking for some reason. But without challenges, we don't grow. And I was all about growth, in business and my personal life. There was only one gray-haired couple on this tour, and they'd brought their grandson along. He was around seven and the least fidgety kid I'd ever had on the bus. He just sat there quietly, listening. His stillness was almost creepy. The only other standout was a thin man in his early forties with gelled hair parted to one side. Warren Rochester was the name he'd given during introductions. He wore a dress shirt tucked into khakis. A cell phone was attached to his hip. He looked more like a Pepsi sales representative on his route than a man on vacation. I didn't like how he stared at me while I spoke. It wasn't like the others. It was too familiar. Throughout my life I'd come across people who'd stared at me this certain way, with this certain Mona Lisa smile, like they knew something about me I didn't. I told my sister this once, and she joked I was a narcissist. At the time I'd had to look that up, and for a while afterward, I'd thought everyone I knew was a narcissist. But that was the danger of internet diagnosis. It turned calf cramps into an early sign of multiple sclerosis, and friends enjoying black coffee into sociopaths who ate people. After finishing my piece in record time a few people made the pensive pinched expression I called question face, but the child was first to speak saying in his little high-pitched voice, this place is a shithole. Gasps all around the bad kind except from Warren. He laughed from his belly. Grandpa scolded the kid and apologized to the group. Grandma followed out of the mouth of babes with a nervous laugh. They say the darndest things, I broke in, trying to throw them a life preserver. Well, maybe now's a good time for a break. What do you say? How about a little wine tasting? Some of our best local wines come from this winery here, especially the Pinot Noir. I believe it's won some awards. We can meet back right here in say 45 minutes. That sound good? Longer if you're enjoying yourselves. We can play it by ear. Then we go straight to lunch after this so, yeah. Enjoy the wine. See you soon. The time was 12.40. That left plenty of Susan time. 
win after win today. I waited for everyone to file out before calling the sandwich spot to warn them of our impending arrival, then I joined the group in the tasting room, exposed beam ceiling stained dark to match the bar. I waved at Susan on the way to the back office to see the owner, none other than Madison of the Stingy Pores. She was fiddling with her cell phone behind her desk when I knocked on the open door. I brought you some real alcoholics today, I said. You're gonna make a killing. She looked up from her phone then back down. Her lips didn't even twitch at my little joke. I'm sorry Charlie, but I can't pay you a commission anymore. My head snapped back like I'd been slapped in the face. The small percentage I made from the wine sales I brought in for her didn't really affect my bottom line, but still, it was a courtesy thing. Why? I said. What's changed? I really like you Charlie, but the winery business has a lot of moving parts, and I just… As she talked, the guy who looked like a Pepsi sales rep, Warren, and the kid with the swearing problem, met outside the bathroom between me and the tasting room. Warren handed the kid two candy bars. Neither said a word to each other, like this was the conclusion of a previous agreement. The kid shoved the candy in his pocket, then returned to his grandparents at the wine bar. Warren caught me watching, nodded, and smiled. Charlie? Madison said. Hello? I turned back to her. Sorry, I just saw something weird. So what's going on? Times are tough. No, actually, business is booming. That's great. Then what's the problem? The optics aren't good. Optics? I don't want to be seen as doing business with you. Therefore, I'd rather you didn't stop here anymore. I can't have that getting back to Brad. Brad? You don't mean kayak Brad, do you? Of course. What's he got to do with this? There's a lot you don't understand yet about the hospitality industry in Humboldt. Another slap in the face. I've had my own bus for three years now, and for three years before that, I did presentations for the parks down south. I've never seen one law, one local ordinance that declares Kayak Brad king of tourism in Humboldt. The guy stocks the lagoons up north. He doesn't even operate in southern Humboldt. He has no power here. Like I said, there's a lot you don't understand. Then enlighten me. Please. Because the reality you're describing is insane. I like you, Charlie. I understand you're upset. But I would hate for you to say something now that would change my opinion of you. Of course, you're welcome to stop by whenever you want in your free time, as long as you don't bring the bus. Because of optics, of course. I was stunned. I just stood there for a moment with my mouth open, blinking. Then I walked out in a sort of daze, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Was Brad in the Mafia? Did the Mafia exist in the rural Pacific Northwest? Or was he just a master blackmailer with dirt on Madison? Was I 86th from all the wineries because of Brad's decree? How did he have so much power? He'd wronged me. He'd stolen money from me. And now he was trying to ruin me? I was starting to hate him, which was scary. I didn't want hate infecting my life. I went back to the bus to clear my head before the last leg of the tour. 
No matter what was going on in my personal life, I prided myself on maintaining high-performance standards, which, in my line of work, started with being positive, positive, energetic, and cheerful. I'd come up with that word as a sort of test, a mental trick, a way of preparing myself for the job. If I could repeat the ridiculous mantra, be positive, without being embarrassed or self-effacing, then I knew I was ready to face the public with sincerity, respect, and a general lack of sarcasm. I'd thought everyone in the group was still in the tasting room, but as I climbed the bus steps repeating my mantra, I locked eyes with Warren, who was smirking at me while holding a glass of red wine. What did you say, he said. Oh, just talking to myself, I replied cheerfully. Enjoying the wine? The Pinot isn't as bad as I thought it would be. He took a sip and smacked his lips. I could feel my face pinch a little. I was struggling to be cheerful with this one. That kinda looked like a drug deal in there between you and the kid. Warren chuffed. That's funny. Is there a story? I'm not a child molester. Whoa, I didn't say that. Warren placed a hand on his chest and in a saccharine tone said, Oh, you didn't? My mistake. You did catch me doing something naughty though. He leaned forward. This tour is boring. I had to do something to liven it up. I just asked the kid to call the next place we stopped a shithole. That's all. He got some candy. I got a laugh. Just a silly prank. Harmless innocent fun. Harmless? I don't think his grandparents would see it that way. You can't interfere with people's kids like that. My mood had soured, my mantra had failed me, and I really didn't like this guy. He was unnerving to be around, his slimy confidence, his cavalier manner. I'd never kicked anyone off the bus before, but I was starting to worry my streak was about to end. He'd already bribed a child to curse in front of his grandparents, and we were only halfway through the tour. I couldn't imagine adding alcohol would improve his behavior. I'm sorry you're not enjoying the tour, I said. I can offer you a refund. You can spend the rest of the tour here if you like, and I'll pick you up when we're on our way back. Stay here? He frowned. And miss seeing the rest of the shitholes. He downed the remainder of his wine and tossed the glass on the floor, where it shattered. What the hell man? Okay. You gotta go. This is the end of the line for us. Ignoring me he stood, opened the overhead compartment, reached into the attaché case he'd stored there, pulled out a handgun and pointed it at my head. He was five feet away. I shot my hands up. Whoa, take it easy man. There's hardly any money on this bus but you can have it, no problem. Take it. With a smooth even voice Warren said, In my line of work I find myself in a lot of confrontations with other men. And in the beginning of these confrontations, I usually get called one of six things, man or buddy, that's most of the time, but then sometimes it's guy or boss or dude or bro. You know those guys. Now here's an observation I've made, I tend to like the man guys and the buddy guys way better than I like the bro, dude, boss and guy guys. And if I had to pick my absolute favorite type, I'd have to pick the man guys. Does that make sense? Take it as a positive sign for our relationship moving forward. I know I will. The door was behind me, three steps down. 
I could leap through it but not before getting shot. Maybe he'd miss. Should I go? Yes? No. Start the bus or I'll shoot you in the head, he said, then shrugged as if to say your choice. Why was he doing this? Because I kicked him off? Or was this a robbery? Ask him. You want the money? Always. But not yours. Start the bus. Now. My thoughts were quick and clear but scattered. Was he a serial killer? A sociopath who drank black coffee? A mafia hitman hired by Brad? A private investigator hired by my niece's crazy dad to find her? Oh my god Em. Please don't be about her. I willed myself to be calm, not show fear as I took the bus key from my pocket and sat in the driver's seat. Was it good to show no fear in a situation like this? Or was it better to show fear? What would an astronaut do? I reached to grab my seatbelt. Stop, he said. No seatbelts on this ride. I looked back as he sat down in the closest seat, the barrel still pointed at my head. Eyes forward. Drive? I turned the ignition and pulled out onto the avenue of the giants. What do you want? A condo in the city with a view of Golden Gate Bridge. But just to visit. Not to live there. Why are you doing this? You know, I was kinda hoping you'd enlighten me on that. But first, we need to have a little chat in private. I drove out of town, where the houses gave way to redwood trees with trunks wider than the length of a car, with tops hundreds of feet overhead, hidden by needle-heavy branches that shaded the road and blocked out the sky. Park in that turnout on the right. I pulled over into a semicircle of gravel, carved out of the forest. Take out the keys and come on back so we can get this over with. I did as I was told, and sat in the seat across the aisle from him. There were earplugs in his ears now, and he leaned against the window, one foot resting on the seat next to him, his gun resting on his knee. In his other hand, he held a small white, grease-stained paper bag bulging with whatever was inside. He tossed it to me, and I caught it. Eat that, he said. I opened the bag and found a cheese danish inside. Now I understood. This was a prank. If it wasn't so malicious, I would have been relieved. Instead I just felt sick. But I always felt sick around cheese danishes, due to a strange condition I suffered from. If I ate even one bite of the danish, I'd vomit. I wasn't allergic or anything. It was all psychological, like getting seasick before even stepping foot on a boat, or a dog salivating when a bell rings. At least, that was how my childhood therapist Nancy had described it to me. I carried around immense guilt and shame over a traumatic experience involving my mom, a cheese Danish, and the ten-year-old version of me. Only three people on earth knew about this, my mom Nancy and my sister May. Nancy was out. No motive. And this couldn't be May's doing. In many ways she'd raised me. She was kind, loving. She wouldn't even sell cheese danishes at her bakery, even though customers asked for them, even though I'd told her it was fine. But she refused. She said she'd sell them when I went back to therapy, which I planned to do. My mom on the other hand could be mean, real mean. 
Mix that with bipolar disorder and a heroin addiction, and I never knew what I was going to get from her. Oren was probably her boyfriend, a little young but she'd had young boyfriends before, always assholes. The only other time I'd had a gun pulled on me was by one of them. Even for mom though, this whole thing was crazy. I tossed the bag back to Warren. Tell my mom to fuck off. Bang. Bullet hole through the roof, ringing in my ears. He tossed the bag back to me. I don't know your fucking mom. Eat that or I'll kill you. Could that be true? I can't. I'll throw up. In a sing-sanji voice, I don't care. Then he wagged his gun at me. Pew pew. Eat the damn pastry. Why? Bang. Another shot through the roof. I removed the Danish completely from the bag, so I'd have something to hold my inevitable vomit. The tour group was probably outside the winery right now, wondering where I was. I could almost feel the bad Yelp reviews in my soul that would come from this, just when I was turning things around. I took a bite and swallowed without chewing, like it was a pill. I took another the same way. My stomach churned. My mouth coated with saliva. I didn't relive the traumatic memory in my mind. At this point, the puking was like any other bodily function. When I got hot, I sweated. When it was dark, my eyes dilated. When I ate a cheese danish, I puked. I managed to keep all of it in the small bag, mostly bile but there were a few chunks. I hadn't eaten much for breakfast. After several dry heaves, my body was done. Not wanting to wait for the bag to soak through and drip all over my clean bus, I asked Warren if I could get rid of it, and he nodded. You can throw out the rest of the Danish too, he said. You've passed the test. I dropped the bag and Danish out the window and sat back down. The potent tang of stomach acid filled my mouth and sinuses. What test? I said. I was hoping you'd tell me. I was ordered to make you eat a cheese danish and kill you if you didn't throw it up. I've done a lot of odd jobs in my life and I'm not one to ask questions. But these are exceptional circumstances. Why did we just do what we just did? Are you kidding? I can't help you with that. How did you know you'd throw up? It's been that way since I was a kid. Do you know why? I saw a therapist once. And? She said it was like a phobia. Someone who gets attacked by a dog when they're a kid will grow up to be afraid of dogs. I think I missed something. Were you attacked by a cheese danish when you were a kid? No. Then why do you throw up when you eat them? I wasn't relating the details of my most painful memories to this asshole, so I sidestepped. I told you what the therapist said. He raised his eyebrows and nodded. Im? Life can be so absurd sometimes. He smiled, but this one seemed different than his other smiles, more genuine somehow. Just when you think you've seen it all, you get a gem like today. A gem. This is a gem to you. You're a sociopath. People keep calling me that. I'm a nihilist, not a sociopath. There's a difference. But no one appreciates nuance anymore. 
He reached into his shirt pocket and pulled out a small bottle of what looked like cologne. Who ordered you to do this? I said. That's a secret. Okay. Then what now? Are we done here? He breathed in deeply through his nose and scooted closer to me. Not quite, but the hard part's over. You're not in danger of dying anymore. So that's a good thing, right? He held the bottle up to my face and pressed down on the lid. A fine mist belched out smelling of iron or blood and settled on my forehead and cheeks. I jerked back. What the? I want to give you some advice because you're a man guy and you've been such a good sport. Sometime tomorrow you're going to wake up in a hotel room, unharmed of course, and you're going to want to call the cops. And that's okay. No one's going to be mad at you for that. You can file a report, give my description my name, which is my real name by the way. But they won't do anything. Dealing with them will only increase your frustration and anxiety. The people I work for are very powerful. Trying to control the situation you find yourself in will be pointless. Think of it like death. We all die. We just don't know when or where. So we put it in the back of our heads and we go on living. That's what you should do. Try to forget about this whole thing and live your life to the fullest. He stood, stuffed the handgun back into his attaché case, then sat behind the wheel and turned on the engine. All I had to do was grab the gun. He was too far away now to stop me. But something was happening to my body. My head ached behind the eyes and my skin was hot and flushed, like the time my friends and I had taken niacin tablets as kids. My limbs felt like they'd float away if I didn't hold them in place. And every time I moved, stinging pain washed over me like waves of jellyfish. But I had to fight it. I grabbed the backs of the seats and tried to lift myself. Oh there, Warren said. Just lie down. You're gonna hurt yourself. After this, there's a gap in my memory.